great is it to be... Am I really loud? Yes. Okay. Nebs, just help me out there. Um, how great is it to be in this room? For all those who've been a part of the journey for a little while, you know that, generally speaking, we are uh, sweating in summer and uh, freezing in winter, but now we have an air-conditioned space, and um, it's going to be awesome. And... Um, so yeah, I'm really excited about us starting the year. We've been on holidays for the last three weeks, as has been um, recommended by our church consultant last year, that the pastors are meant to be taking extended breaks in one lot so that we actually get refreshed. It was really cool. We really, uh, didn't miss you guys too much. <laughs> we went down south and we ate a lot of great food, which is why we live in Vic Park. Um, but you know, I didn't miss gathering as a church family. I love that worship this morning just felt like you guys wanted to sing. You guys wanted to be in God's presence, and that is fantastic. And so uh, before we get full into today's message, um, I want to get you guys talking and loosen up. Let's say this circle represents our life. Throw out at me what you think goes into your life. What makes up your life? Family. Uh, what else? What else? Yeah. <laughs> all right. We'll let, we'll let Midge get away with that one. He's trying to show off to his fiance. Oh, I'm so holy. Look at me. All right, what else? What else? Come on. Friends? Yep. Did someone say, did someone say football? No. The dockers will continue to sink. Sleep? Mm, yep. You know what? I'm going to put health, food, your vocation. Yes. What else? I'm going to put the word relationships. Yep. What else? Yeah, vocation, work. Yep. What else? <laughs> Vocations and vacations. How about that? Exercise. Exercise. Well, we got health there. We've got exercise. Is that how you spell it? Yes. Did someone say purpose? Okay. Someone's very deep. Art. Hobbies. Goals. Goals. I'm going to put a word, aspirations, oops, what else? Nature. Sorry? Enjoy nature. Nature. Uh, I guess what we, I like the word enjoy. Fear. Fear. <laughs> okay. I guess what we can say about some of that is that it's our emotions. Emotions play a part in our life. What else? Stuff. <laughs> I guess situations. <laughs> we can put it up, listen. All right, anything else? What do we put up? All right. All right, I'm going to put a few more. Um, okay.
We've got dreams, aspirations, we have got a will. A will constitutes part of our life. If we don't have a will, we don't do anything. We've got our intellect. You got art, music. All right, so I like this one. We've got our habits, which a lot of people do have. Good, you guys got most of the things that I wanted to get on there. And we're just going to forget about that for a second. And we'll come back to it. Over the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about the word inspire. Um, uh, this word is an important word for us as a church because this word is part of our mission statement, which is inspiring people to live. And uh, you know, at the end of last year, we did a quick survey. Not everyone did it. A couple of people did. And um, we asked as well. Part of it was to ask uh, people to identify our mission statement and people did say well done well done to you guys you know what church you're a part of which is fantastic and um you know uh, over the last couple of years i wanted to explore what life was inspiring people to live what is this life that jesus wants to inspire us to word you know john 10 verse 10 says that jesus came that we might have life and life abundantly or life and have it to the full which is fantastic so we spoke about that, but then I realized, or I felt God put on my heart over the last few weeks, but let's talk about inspire. What does it mean to inspire? What is that all about? And so I actually had to look at the Oxford Dictionary because I wanted to be a bit more like cluey about this. I didn't want to just be talking out of turn. And uh, the Oxford Dictionary says that the word inspire has two key meanings. The first one is to breathe in air. So you are all inspired because you, you have inspired air. Air fills your lungs, inhaling, that's the same word. Um, but the other meaning which I think most of us think about when we think about inspiration is to fill someone with the urge or the ability to do or feel something is to be filled with the urge or the ability and or the ability to do or to feel something, especially something creative. So when you're feeling inspired, it actually has this connotation of you feel full of something and you have to do something about it, right? It's like if you are feeling inspired, sitting around and doing nothing is not good enough. You are filled with the desire and the sense that you have this capacity to do something about it. And that's what it means to be inspired. I love, uh, I love that picture and I want to live my life inspired. Yeah. How many people want to live a life expired? <laughs> Where you're just like empty and bereft of drive and emotion. I think that God has created us to be inspired. And over this week and next week, we're going to talk about specifically what the Bible describes or what the Bible teaches us that God has inspired. Yeah. All right. And so today we'll, we'll touch on the first one. We're going to look at Genesis 2 verse 7. And it's a very simple verse. It says this, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. He inspired Adam, and the man became a living being. By the way, the words, the man, it literally is translated Adam. Adam wasn't necessarily his name. It was just a designation for the person, the man <laughs> that God created. And so if you name your kid Adam, it's, it's kind of a cool name, but you're literally just saying man. It's, it's a bit 
boring. Uh, anyway, um, I know a few Adams, and I don't know, I never met a good Adam. Does anyone know Adam? It kind of speaks about the human condition. Anyway, moving on, I'm digging myself a hole. Um, you know, when God created all of creation, He simply spoke things into being. He said, let there be light, let there be water, let there be ground, let there be trees, let there be birds, let there be fish, let there be animals. And then it came to creating humanity and God handmade, sculpted Adam and then literally inspired him to life. The Bible, when we read the creation story, it is not about a scientific list of things that God did. It is a theological account of how we were created. And with that, we need to understand that when God created humanity, He inspired humanity. He didn't just tack something together and say, go on and do something. He literally put breath into us. That's the theological understanding of how we exist as people, that God Himself inspired us to live. That is what this life is all about, that it is His breath in our lungs that causes us to move and have our being. Without God, the, the inspiration has been cut off. And, you know, I was thinking about this. If you're not inspiring, you're expiring. It is a simple truth. If we stop taking in breath, we are losing life. <laughs> and it's a beautiful, beautiful picture that God placed His breath, His inspiration into us. Our purpose, which we talked about a moment ago, our purpose is that God breathes life into us. Our whole frame of being, our whole understanding of what life is about needs to come from this place of understanding that God is the one who places His breath in our lungs. And I'm not saying this just as a literal thing. I'm not just saying that God puts oxygen into your throat, down your throat, into your, in your throat? Into your throat, right? Somewhere there. And into your lungs. He might, it might be God's will that allows our muscles to move and all of that kind of stuff. But I'm also talking about what you do with your life. Remember that the definition of inspiration is to be filled with this urge and this capacity to do something with ourselves. We were created in the image of God. And God is a creative God. He does creative things. He does beautiful things expressions of life and he places that inspiration inside of us as well see there's a problem though because humanity hasn't always done really well with that inspiration and at the start of this year i hope that at some point you've been reflecting on where you're wanting to go i hope that a part of that is that you want to read your bible you want to get into it you want to understand god's word for your life but when you read the word of god and you read in particular the old testament it is not a very nice story at all because the old testament is a big picture account of what humanity has done with the inspiration that god had given to them 
If you read the Old Testament, it's story after story of people and the account of what they did with the life that God had given to them. And right from the start, we spoke about this last year uh, when we did the, the, the Problem of Sin series. Adam and Eve, they are the first inspired beings on the face of this planet. Apart from God, I'm sure God's inspiring himself. Um, but, but Adam and Eve, they, they, they are created. And then what do they do? Literally, they were inspired by God. God's breath filled their lungs. And what did they do? They sinned. They chose to rebel against God. Do you know that being inspired by God doesn't necessarily mean that you will do exactly what he says? Do you know that being inspired by God doesn't circumvent your will, that you still have the ability to choose where you are going and what you're going to do? Adam and Eve chose to do what God said not to do. And there's a very, very important thing that happens from there. You can read this in Genesis 3. When they decided to rebel against God and to go against His inspiration, what did they lose? They lost access to life. I'm not just trying to be creative in this message here because I believe that the uh, the first few chapters of the Bible in particular are trying to paint this picture of what took place to set us in motion to get to where we are today. History teaches us lots of stuff, and this is a theological account of our history. Humanity were inspired and created by God, and they chose to turn away from God, and in so doing, they lost access to life. God was inspiring them to live in utopia, and they chose to do things by themselves. And this becomes the pattern for the rest of the Old Testament. Time and time again, people choose to do things by themselves. There's this really puzzling passage in Genesis 4, 23 to 24. I read this uh, many times, and I was like, oh, this is a bit weird. This is what it says. I don't know how to pronounce his name. Lamech? Lamech. Said to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to me. Wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech 77 times. How many of you look at that and go, bit weird? Bit weird, right? Now, I thought that it was a bit weird until someone unpacked this for me. See, Cain, um, as we know in Genesis 4, kills his brother Abel. And God sentences him to exile, basically, further exile, that he's going to be roaming the earth. And Cain actually goes to God and he says, God, this is too much for me to bear. And so God says, okay, you know what, I'm going to have mercy on you. This is a picture of grace. And he says, I'm going to place a mark on you so that everyone will know that if they hurt you, they harm you, you will be avenged seven times. Who does the avenging? God does the avenging. A few generations later, we come to this man named Lamech, and he was wounded by a young man. And what does he do? Who does the avenging this time around? God or Lamech? Lamech does it himself. He brings justice by himself, and he doesn't wound the man for wounding him. It's not an eye for an eye. He declares that if Cain is avenged seven times, he deserves. Who said that he deserves 77 times? And the word seven, the number seven in the Bible isn't about just 
a numerical system. It is a symbol of completeness. So God was saying that if Cain is hurt, he, God will fully avenge him. But Lamech said, I want to be not just fully avenged, but I want to be fully, fully avenged. This is a picture of what humanity and the human condition is like. Things happen to us, and we choose the outcome that makes most sense to me. Someone hurts me, I want to hurt them back. But I don't just want them to be hurt the way that I was hurt. I want them to be hurt, hurt, hurt. I want them to be fully hurt. In fact, you know what? I want them to be fully, fully hurt. And Lamech was the generation just before, guess what happened? The flood. When God looked at humanity, he saw so much wickedness. Now, many of us read the passage about the flood, and we think that God was angry, right? It makes sense. People were really terrible, and they weren't following God's plans. God got angry. The Bible in Genesis doesn't record that God was angry. It records that God was grieved, God was not so much angry at people's rebellion, he was sad and heartbroken that people would take the inspiration that he had given them and turn it into something so wicked that they look nothing like how he had intended. This is heavy stuff. And we keep going through the Bible and we read account after account. There were some heroes. All of the heroes in the Old Testament were, had a dark shadow side. There might be one or two that we don't really see that dark shadow side. You know, David, the most righteous king, the friend of God, adulterous murderer, he took things into his own hands. Even when we go into the book of Judges, the more you go into the book of Judges, if you're reading through the Bible, you get to Judges, brace yourself. <laughs> Those guys are crazy. But I don't know if they're more crazy than the world that we live in today. Because history simply repeats itself. Samson, inspired by God, his life, was supposed to be amazing. He was given the strength of, I don't know, he, he was the original Superman. And yet he was gullible, he was lustful. He took things into his own hand. Gideon, another one that I love preaching about because he starts off as this insecure person, right? And God raises him up and he delivers the people of Israel. And then he shows his true colors, if you will prideful, insecure. The inspiration of God did not lead to inspirational lives. The inspiration of God somehow was rejected by humanity and led to this sequence, this pattern that we could describe as the human condition. And it's kind of it's not a very inspirational message so far, is it? <laughs> Start of 2022, the human condition will catch up with us. And we're going to struggle with it. But I'm glad that the Bible doesn't stop there. Because the Old Testament seems to be recording how people responded to God out of their own strength. 
It wasn't that God wasn't there, but that was how life was. And then we come to the person of Jesus. We come to the New Testament and we come to the person of Jesus. And in Jesus, we had the perfect example of a life that was lived completely under the inspiration of God. You know, Jesus said, I do not do anything that I don't see my Father doing. He was living under the model, the inspiration of God. That is found in John 5 verse 19. So Jesus lives a blameless life, right? He lives the most inspired life, and he gets crucified by the people that he was trying to live for. I want to put something out there. Here's a bit of a crazy thought that came to me. Living under the inspiration of God is actually really threatening to other people. When Jesus taught, people were wowed by his authority. They were like, where does this guy's authority come from? So much so that the people that were in authority, when this doesn't make sense, because we took all of these steps to get to this place of authority, but this guy pops out out of seemingly nowhere, and he's got more authority than us. He must be a fraud. You know that living under the inspiration of God sometimes doesn't make sense to other people. How is it that you are doing what you are doing? How is it that you have the kind of life that you do? You know, when we were down in um, uh, Margaret River, this is last week, Beck and I just had um, a bit of time out just for ourselves, and we went for a degustation. Like I said, we love food, and we actually met friends who had just gotten married. We literally went to these, this degustation. We sat down, and literally, uh, they were right at the next table, uh, and they turn around, and they go, hey. And we're like, whoa, you know, in Margaret River, and we met someone, they literally just got married, and we said, hey, this is kind of our anniversary trip, we don't do it at the time of our anniversary, because it's a bit too crazy, but we take time out, and they're like, oh, how long have you guys been married for? We're like, nine years, and it's like, oh, that's so cool, that's so great, so inspirational, we just got married, and I don't know how the conversation got there, it's like, oh, you guys, I don't know, did they say something like, you guys look like you're doing so well, or something like that? Yeah, and, and um, she, literally, she literally turns to us and says, oh, it must be easy for you guys. You guys are a power couple. And I was like, oh, power couple. We got the gift of staying together. <laughs> We're not like other people. You're going to have to work really hard in your marriage. But we were graced by God. You know, the inspiration of God doesn't mean that it's any easier. And, but the truth is, sometimes when you are living or you're trying to live under the inspiration of God, other people go, you've got something different about you. And sometimes it's threatening to other people. Inspiration of God does not make your life any easier. Jesus died because he lived fully inspired. Just putting that out there. I don't know why that someone needed to hear that. But you know what? Here's another crazy thought. Uh, Jesus said that in our present day lives, that we can live as inspired as he did. In fact, he says that we will do even greater things than he did. That's John 14, verse 12. Now, I'm not saying that we get to die for the rest of humanity. I'm not saying that we do exactly what Jesus did. But what I'm saying is that there is meant to be something about our lives that is inspired by God. And the more I look at this, 
there is a part of me that grieves for the global church. And there's a part of me that grieves for this church. Because there's a part of me that grieves about my life. Because I realize that if Jesus is saying that you are as inspired as he was, does my life look anything like how it's meant to look like? And at the start of the year, I think it's a great time to just pull back and just have a thought about this. Like, where am I going and what is this all about? We just pause and go, hang on. Am I living the kind of life that I'm meant to? Am I being inspired by the right things? Am I being inspired by the right voices? Am I being inspired by the right sources? Because I think that when we live truly inspired by God, you will know that you're living inspired by God. And I think I know that I'm not fully inspired and we're going to come back to this. And maybe you are in that space of like, I don't know if I am. But how do I live inspired by God? How do I come under the inspiration of God? That's where I want to show you this. Jesus dies and then he rises again. And after his resurrection, he appears to his disciples in John 20, verses 19 to 23. This is what it says. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his sides uh, to show them that he still bore the scars of his crucifixion. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Isn't it interesting that they only recognized that he was the Lord after he showed them his scars? Sometimes we think that God's power means that we're above and beyond and that we don't carry any scars. Jesus' proof of his lordship was his scars. And so Jesus again then says, peace be with you. And then he gives them this command, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. See, what I believe that John was doing in this particular verse, this was the only time that this, past, this particular event was recorded in the four Gospels. And I think that John was taking this to describe something very significant. Remember how humanity was created? With the breath of God. Now that Jesus had died and risen again, what does he do with his disciples? He breathes upon them. I believe that this is a recreation event. I believe that this is a moment where God is saying, your life used to be like that, but you get to live a different life. And I, this is why Jesus teaches us that if you want to enter the kingdom, you must be born again. You know, Christians have taken that title of I'm born again. What does that mean? It means that God has breathed upon me with the Holy Spirit. And that creates in me a new life and a new creation. And that is who I am meant to be. The word Holy Spirit, the word Spirit, is translated also as breath. This is the breath of God that fills our lungs. Because Jesus has died and risen again, we get to live a new life. Why? Because of the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about it in this way. You can live either by the flesh, which is the old life, or you can live by the Spirit, which is the new life. 
the inspiration of God creates in us a new life. And we get to choose. No, we have to choose. In fact, we are already choosing what we do with that inspiration. We get to. We have to. We are choosing what we are doing with that inspiration. You don't get to say, God, can you just pause my life for the next three weeks and let me figure out whether I want to do what you're telling me to do. We, by definition, have already received inspiration. And what we do is what counts. Now, Jesus goes on and he says this really strange verse, John 20, verse 23. After he says, receive the Holy Spirit, he says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, anyone read that and go, what the heck is going on? Doesn't mean that we as disciples like, forgiven. You're good. Mm. Avocados on your shirt. Mm. Unforgive. I don't like your hair. I don't like the way you speak. You're not forgiven. You're, oh, you're forgiven. It's like, are we like the Oprah of the Christian world? I've got the Holy Spirit, so I get to give out forgiveness. To, like, what is going on? I had to look into this because I was like, I don't know what's going on. I found this verse. I found this passage because I, I remembered that Jesus breathed on his disciples. I wanted to catch that moment. And I read that. It said, receive the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to this thing. What does it mean? So in my research, in my understanding, this passage actually relates to a couple of other passages uh, in Matthew 16 verse 19 and then Matthew 18 verse 18. I don't want to go fully into it, but basically both of those passages, Jesus says, I will give you keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth shall be loose in heaven. The words bind and lose are basically the same words that were used to describe forgiveness. You lose forgiveness and you bind Forgiveness, basically, is what, that's, that's the same active verb that was being used in both passages. So what was Jesus trying to tell his disciples when they had received the Holy Spirit? See, what we need to understand about both those verses is not so much that Jesus was saying to his disciples that you get to do all of these things, that you are the active one doing the binding and the loosing. The, verse, uh, the, the, the verb, the, the way that was constructed in the Greek actually means that you're simply declaring something that was already done. When we as Christians bind something, it's because we are declaring something that God is already wanting to do or has already done. We are declaring the kingdom of God into the space that we are living in. And this is the keys to the kingdom of heaven that we're talking about. And, and the other thing that we miss out because we don't get this kind of language is that the binding and loosing were delegated authorities that were given to the priesthood of Israel. The binding and loosing were given to a, a select group of people that were selected by God to represent Him to the people. How did they represent Him to the people? Be through their judgments. They would declare what is righteous and they would declare what is unrighteous. To the point where if you had a sickness of some description, you went to the priest to be declared either clean or unclean. What gave the priest such rights? Because they were 
representing God. They were the people that were closest to God. They were the people that were study, studying God with their everyday. They were supposed to know God the most, and therefore they were able to declare to the people what God's will is. So when Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit, he's not giving you an impersonal force that you get to do whatever you want with. You don't get to make a Holy Spirit rocket that brings you to the moon. You're not in a space race, people. What happens when we receive the Holy Spirit is that we are reinstituted into the plans of God, and that is to create a priesthood of all believers. This is a topic that I've been looking into over the last couple of weeks as, as I'm reading what I'm reading, and there's this sense that as the people of God in the Western culture, we have gotten so used to living our lives where the spiritual stuff are done in church settings, but everywhere else I get to do what I want to do. Where we fail to come to the authority of God's word to determine what is good and not good, like how the priesthood would have done it. They would come into God's presence. They would not make any large decision in their life without seeking out God's will. Another thing that the priesthood had, they had these dice, kind of strange, but they had these dice, and when they didn't know what God's will was, they would cast lots. That's the kind of like, God, you need to be in this. When I look at the life that we live, how much is inspired by God? We didn't even write spirit in there. We didn't even write my relationship with God in there. I mean, we had Jesus, but I think that was a little punker just trying to say Jesus is the answer to everything. <laughs> Holy Spirit doesn't factor. There's a lot more stuff about my enjoyment. And what I like, that what God likes. And when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit, I'm making you into a priesthood. The people that represent God to the rest of the world. If you want to live under the inspiration of God, where life is available to you, then every single aspect of your life comes in alignment with the will of God. How many of you would say that your relationships are done with an alignment to the will of God? How many of us will say that our emotions are managed and regulated according to the will of God? How many people would say that our purpose, our aspirations, our goals, our dreams are informed by the will of God. How many of us will say that our habits, our habits are informed by the will of God? How many of us would say that our will is to do the will of God? See, doing Living under the inspiration of God is not about feeling great about ourselves. 
And I think that's why so many of us as Christians, myself included, misses out on living under the inspiration of God. Because our intellect, our emotions, our will, we consider that ours. But when we talk about the inspiration of God, the breath of God, it's not pockets. It's not a selection. It's the whole thing. What we do when we only give God a selection of our lives is to live out the lives of the Old Testament. It's to have some successes but have the darkness catch up with us. What Jesus was ushering in when he breathed upon his disciples, he was reminding them that they are now living in a day and an age where the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all flesh. The breath of God is being breathed upon each and every single one of us. And it's meant to touch every, 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 every aspect of our lives. I was preparing for this year, and I was thinking about, God, what is it that you want from me? You know, and I'm so used to kind of thinking about, yeah, you know, I'm going to do this cool thing, I'm going to do this thing, I'm going to have these goals, and I'm going to set them, and I'm going to run after them, and I'm going to have this achievement, I'm going to have this success. And I felt God just come back to this thing. He's like, are you going to live in submission to my will? Are you going to listen to my voice? And in worship this morning, I felt God impress on me that what our church is like, or where our church is at, is like we are Samuel. The story of Samuel, when he was in the house of God, he was in the house of God. He lived, breathed, slept in the house of God. But when God spoke to him, he needed someone to teach him. That is God speaking. Where we are going as a church this year, I believe, is that we are going to recognize God's voice more deeply in our lives. But if we are going to recognize and understand the voice of God in our lives, then we need to get ready for some of the things in our lives to get shifted and changed because God is not going to be in competition with you. God is not in it to try to fight against you. He still gives you a will but he also lets you know that if you want life, you listen to my voice. You want fulfillment, you listen to my voice. You want peace, you listen to my voice. You want joy, you listen to my voice. I've been really impacted recently. I'm reading about the life of a theologian named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Bonhoeffer lived in, um, during World War II and he was a German. And um, he lived in the time when Hitler came into power. And up to that point where he was starting to realize that God's voice for him was to do some really difficult things, including going back to Germany. 
where he would be persecuted, where he would later be put in jail, where he would die in a concentration camp because he tried to kill Hitler. Kind of crazy story. But he was also a theologian of the highest order. He wrote a book, which I haven't read, which I've got. It's called The Cost of Discipleship. The Cost of Discipleship. And he writes in this book, and he says, cheap grace is when all we want from God is this acknowledgement that my eternal life will be spent with in peace. Costly grace is understanding that God's salvation for my life is going to cost me everything on this earth. He wrote those words, and he lived those words out when he died trying to follow God's will. I'm not here to tell you that when you follow God's will, you're going to win the lottery. You're going to have it easy. You're going to get that promotion. You're going to have that beautiful life. And you know what? I think that we live in such a blessed land that we don't really need or think about having a savior because most of us already are doing okay. But I think that there needs to be a bit of a wake-up call in our hearts that the life that we see, this is all temporary. This doesn't count for much. One day you'll be dead in your grave and all your titles, all your money, your possessions, gone. Doesn't count for anything. But the life that you live for God, that's the eternal stuff. That is what will be counted. I've gone over my time. If we can get the band up, I'm sorry, if someone can move the whiteboard. I thought that at the start of this year, I don't really know how to go from here in the sense of, I'm happy to pray for people, I'm happy to stand with people, but I believe that you need to think. Each one of us needs to soberly think, examine our lives and go, is the whole of my life under the inspiration of God or am I taking things into my own hands? What aspects of your life, there are some things that we all find, that, that each of us might find easy to give to God. I'll give to God my Sunday between 10 to 11.30. If Nate goes a bit over time, I'm going to start taking back. The tithe is going to be less than a tithe. <laughs> there he goes, rambling again. I'm willing to give God this, but I'm not willing to give God this. All of us have a bit of this. And I feel like this morning God wants to speak to you. And He wants to say, give me that, and you will see what I do with all of you. And for each of us, it's going to be different. For some of us, it's going to be a real sacrifice. But Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you take up your cross daily. You remember that death to yourself is life eternally. 
And I'm not here to mince words. I'm not here to tell you that God loves you, so you go do whatever you want. God loves you, and therefore He's calling you to live an inspired life. God's called you to live with the authority and the power. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in me. So what am I going to do with that? Am I just going to go around with a normal, everyday life? Or am I going to live in a way that actually proclaims the kingdom of God wherever I go? To my workplaces, to my family, to my friends, with the rest of my life, with every breath that I take, it is meant to be lived, inspired by God. So can we stand this morning? If you feel God is speaking to you and, and you're wanting prayer, come forward and we'll pray for you. But as the band leads us in this song, I pray that at the very least, you're going to consider and reflect and think, God, am I living out your inspiration? Am I giving you all that I am? Come on team, why don't you just sing and lead us in this song? We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.